Hey everyone, I'm Lee Jen along with Nathan Vichez. Hello. And this is Means of Creation, a show where we deep dive into the passion economy and the future of work. This show is brought to you by Every, a writer collective that's focused on business. Lately, Twitter has been investing a lot into long form content. They acquired Review earlier this year, and they also acquired Scroll, which is a subscription service that offers an ad free way to read long form content. Yeah, and Nixalon, our guest today, is the guy at Twitter who basically is responsible for running all of this. Historically, he oversaw relationships with big publishers like the New York Times or you know Business Insider or any of those. But now also under his purview are individual writers who might use Review or other platforms to especially obviously Review to sort of make a living as an independent creator on the internet that you know is using Twitter to discover new readers. Yeah, I think even the fact that his role exists and his purview has expanded to cover independent writers is really indicative of a major shift that's happening in the media landscape. The fact that he formerly worked on U.S. news partnerships and now is just head of long-form content partnerships really says something about the fact that that type of content no longer just comes from media organizations. It is kind of the story of the internet in a nutshell, isn't it? Just like the job title change from like publisher partnerships to like overseeing all writer partnerships. Totally. I love the symbolism of that. Yes. And uh, in this conversation, we talk about how he thinks about Twitter's value proposition to writers, especially in a landscape that is getting increasingly competitive for these types of long form writers. We also talk about reviews, editorial philosophy with respect to moderation and content. We talk about the archetype of who a Twitter native creator is and their long form content strategy going forward. I think you're going to love this episode. So why don't we uh, kick it off? Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Lee and Nathan. It's such a a pleasure to be here. Uh, Massive fan of the show and um, yeah, really excited to chat to you both about uh, some of the things we're working on. Thank you. So I wanted to kick it off by first talking about newsletter writers and long form writing on the internet. So obviously in the last couple of years, there's been kind of a flourishing of the craft of newsletter writing and email newsletters as like a new type of content creation that is much more accessible to many more people. And so specifically, I wanted to dig into review with you. Like, why should writers use review over any of the other alternatives that exist on the market? How should they think about review versus the other options? Sure. And, and, and thanks for the question. I mean, I think it's a it's a really um, interesting time in the industry. Uh, and, and, you know, what we're seeing, particularly on Twitter, is that there is just a, a really massive appetite for content that goes beyond 280. So we're really seeing a lot of consumer demand on the platform for you know longer form content, for folks to just dive more deeply into the context around stories, um, you know, for folks to get very deeply acquainted with niches that they're interested in. You know, so we're seeing a kind of explosion on the market side, on the consumer side. And, and, and I think that real interest and, and desire to consume long form content is really really what makes, I think, the review combination um, so exciting. Because, you know, the the opportunity to integrate review into Twitter and for writers to benefit from all the things that we can do around a super deep integration is really exciting, you know, not just for writers who are looking to build 
and grow and monetize audiences, but also for consumers who who are just looking for, for, for really deep dives on high quality information. The way I like to think about this and the way that we're kind of talking around this is to, to kind of divide the, the jobs that we need to do into jobs that have to be done for readers on Twitter and jobs that have to be done for writers on Twitter. And both, you know, have benefits to the other group or party. And I think that from a, a perspective of long form content and that writers are already on Twitter out there tweeting and getting feedback on tweets, writing threads, building large follower group bases based on those threads. And so for us, we see that it's a natural extension for those writers to then move from threads to newsletters and to longer form content. And so if you think about that in the context of kind of Twitter's overall evolution, I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't even tweet a photo natively, you know, which is yeah. which is crazy, crazy to think, um, you know, and over time, you know, we've integrated you know, photos for one, but video 280 and a, a larger surface to, to write text. And then, you know, threads, which have become, you know, really important and popular. And so I think that, that in the context of Writers for Review, just from a creation perspective alone, the idea of kind of making the turning the newsletter into almost like a, a writing funnel and it being at the kind of end of the writing funnel. You start with a tweet, you test out engagement on that tweet, you see if it's a topic that your audience and community are interested in. Maybe you put a thread out, uh, uh, you know, get some feedback, ask people for their ideas, build that thread, you know, see that that's something that's worth writing about. And then, you know, it's a very easy transition for you to then move into a newsletter. So, so, so I think that from a writer experience perspective, just the ease of kind of moving through that process of how you would normally use Twitter anyway, but just doing um, the newsletter piece, you know, within Twitter, you know, that's really, you know, an interesting piece. And then the second thing that I would say, um, you know, on the reading side is, you know, the integration, you know, really gives writers an opportunity to connect with their audiences that are already on Twitter. And so from a reader perspective, if you're a reader and you're hungry for long form content, well, you want to find it in more places. And so that's exactly the opportunity that we're kind of building into. And, and we're about to release a new feature that enables anybody who is a review newsletter writer to, by virtue of their of, their, of, of writing a review newsletter, they will automatically have a subscribe button um, that goes on their profile. And that allows for fans of their work, either their followers or non-followers to click on that subscribe button from within the Twitter app and, you know, convert that follower or that person that's interested into a subscriber. And we intend, you know, over time, you, you can see a world where, where that button isn't just limited to the profile page. That's all over Twitter. That's in many different surface areas and discovery right. places. So I think that from an audience perspective, you know, it's really um, powerful, the idea uh, of being able to build your audience on Twitter, you know, where they already are, frankly. That is so huge, just the fact that you can reduce friction beyond what any other platform can reduce because people are right there. You can integrate it in a bunch of different ways. You could imagine a sort of like Twitter instant article or AMP type product or something like that where it's like, it's not trying to take over the web and put it inside Twitter, but just people who already natively want to publish inside Twitter, maybe there's some some better experience. They could get better data potentially just from having that more integrated experience. That would be great. So is that kind of like the main pitch basically is... Um, First of all, you're already here. You're already writing threads. You're already writing tweets. And then second of all, your audience is already here. 
they're already reading stuff and we can reduce the friction to getting the audience to to be you know, longer form readers of yours in addition to reading your tweets or following your tweets already? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would characterize it more as a, as a product priority. Um, mm. You know, that, that, that we really want to have, we think writers are so important to Twitter and, and to the public conversation. Writers of all sorts, journalists, you know, independent writers, writers that are just establishing themselves, writers that are, that are super established. And so in serving them, we think the first and most important and most impactful thing that we can do, you know, is help them easily convert their Twitter followers into subscribers. That's something of, of, of value. That's a, that's a job that's kind of really meaningful to them. So that's kind of where we're focused. I, I think, you know, with respect to kind of how we're thinking about writers and talking to writers, you know, we're very interested in extending what makes Twitter so special, which is just a world of so many Twitters. I mean, how many Twitters are there? Uh, almost like for everyone has their own Twitter or own collection of Twitters. And, you know, what mm -hmm. we're seeing is that there are writers on the platform that may not have been writers before they came to Twitter, that may have started with a tweet, that may have um, started to, to experiment with threats. I was talking to a writer the other day, you know, and he started last year with 300 followers and he said i'm going to do a thread a day for a month and in a month's time he had twenty-seven thousand followers you know he's wow. built a successful business off of that off twitter today but over time we would like to see him be able to build that business on twitter you know and he's just an emerging writer that we're seeing you know is finding their groove finding their audience has a penchant for writing, has a passion for writing. And, and we're really looking to figure out how we can kind of take care of those folks. That's really interesting. I, I think of Twitter as like one of the major social media companies that has been around for a long time and sort of came of age in an era in which advertising was the predominant business model for social networks. And to this day, I believe advertising is still the vast majority of Twitter's revenue. And now it seems like there's the addition of other business models, primarily helping to serve creators on the platform, but presumably also helping to like increment Twitter's own revenue in different ways that are beyond advertising. Can you just say more about that? And, you know, why the exploration of the subscription business model? Are there other business models that you think are compelling to also explore, whether it pertains to creators on Twitter or maybe Twitter itself? Sure. Uh, it's interesting that you ask, uh, and specifically around advertising. Before I moved to the long-form content team and, and, and the product organization at Twitter, my job was to help news organizations and media companies make money from mm -hmm. monetizing their work via advertising. Uh, and, and we built a, a really kind of meaningful business for, for a large number of you know, high-profile news organizations that were investing in journalism, investing on in great content. You know, and I think that we came away from that, or, or at least I came away from that with a couple of principles. One, it, the media industry is just changing so, so rapidly, you know, for some in a good way, but for, for others, it, it, it's challenging and they need to find new ways of making money and to diversify their revenue streams. The second thing we came away from was that what's so important is predictability and reliability to media companies and to creators. And so, you know, we, we made a very clear decision that the way that we wanted to work with media companies was to, to help them build sustainable businesses on Twitter. And 
the best way to build sustainability to build sustainable businesses is to think about how folks can diversify their revenue streams. And so when we mm-hmm. think about this, you know, we think about this from the perspective of both media companies and creators and the content creation ecosystem, because it's very important to us to look at it holistically rather than focus on one particular area or another particular area. It's important that, that there's a healthy content creation ecosystem. And for us, you know, helping folks build sustainable business models means looking at advertising, looking at building advertising to the best level that you can make it to, but also offering the tools to diversify and to building audiences and to monetizing audiences in different ways. So for us, it's really about enabling media companies and creators to to make a return on what they put into the platform and to have that return be predictable, um, sustainable, and part of a diverse, healthy business. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed with that. It turns out like even though people desire autonomy and freedom in their work, I think the the great thing about having a traditional employment situation was the predictability of your revenues because your costs are recurring and so your income also kind of needs to be predictable. So I think that is one of the major things that impedes more people from being creators is the lack of predictability in revenue. It's exactly right. And one, one, one area that we saw this in, you know, media companies in the pivot to video era, you know, were being paid huge sums to create video capabilities, to hire video editors and video creators. Mm-hmm. And that money didn't necessarily sustain. And that was hugely problematic. So we took the view of, of rather than going to market and, and, and investing heavily in, the, in new initiatives, you know, we wanted to build it very in a very durable, very sustainable way because we, yeah. we, we didn't want to pull the rug out from anyone you know, further right. down the line. So that's kind of how, how we've been thinking about it, I would say. Totally. I'm just curious. This is like a maybe a tangent, but in terms of helping publishers, whether individual writers or media companies drive subscriptions, to me, one of the number one parts of my experience on Twitter that is rough for that is when I am not logged in to a site that I have a subscription to. And then I'm like, I click the link and I'm like, ah, oh, how do I, you know, is there anything that can be done? I feel like I just speak on behalf of so many people when we're like, how do we stay logged in somehow? Like, is there some collaboration or system that can be built? <laughs> or is there something that you're working on? Cause I feel like that's such a huge unsolved problem. I know it's a tricky one because you know, the browser inside Twitter may not necessarily share cookies with the other browser for good reasons, but still, that would be a fascinating thing to solve. Well, it's funny you should ask, Nathan, because <laughs> um, we also see that as a real source of friction, um, yeah. both in our own everyday use and in the everyday use of you, you, you know users. And I think that for Twitter, it's really important that users can easily and accessibly and in a friction-free way access super quality information. And so another acquisition that was made as part of the long-form group um, is an acquisition of a company named Scroll. And Scroll's mission is to make the process of clicking on links to publisher websites as clean, as fast-loading, as simple an experience as, as possible. And so scrollers, you know, we're, we're looking at how we're building out scroll. It will be included in a subscription offering that Twitter's gonna be launching later this year. And the real goal is to provide people who click on their favorite publisher links with the best possible experience. Right now, that's an ad-free experience, but you could totally imagine a world in which that experience 
addresses some of the problems and issues around logins and friction. So, so, so we're thinking about that and it's something that we really want to solve. You know, the first kind of order of business is, is getting this kind of overall subscription product launched and, and having scroll included in that. But over time, you're going to see us thinking and talking about, you know, many of those things. Fascinating. And scroll, the way it works is like you have to install some sort of thing on your phone, right? Is that how it works? Or like a browser extension on your on your laptop? Like, is that the key to kind of like making this work is there's a little bit of upfront setup, but then once you get it set up, it's like it just works across a bunch of different websites. Or how does that kind of work almost from a technical point of view? In order to bring publishers into the scroll network, and, and I think it's, it's worth just kind of moving up a, a level here, you know, and, and kind of maybe framing this in, in the context of the creation ecosystem, you know, from mm-hmm. individuals on one end to um, organizations on the other. For us, it's really important that both can build sustainable businesses on and off Twitter. We, we think a quality information ecosystem is absolutely critical. We're troubled by a lot of the changes that are kind of happening in that space, you know, particularly around news organizations, particularly around local news, etc. You, you know, and so the way that Scroll will work is that we are looking to enter into partnerships with news organizations that, you know, there will be an integration with. And that integration will enable their web pages um, to load when a, a member of the Twitter subscription um, service clicks on that page to see that experience really cleanly, you know, without ads. And that's kind of how we're gotcha. how, how we're thinking about it. Gotcha. Cool. I want to switch gears a little bit and chat about writer acquisition strategy and kind of the intersection of that with content moderation. So I think one of the most interesting kind of narratives and stories that have come out over the past few months is around the Substack Pro program and how they've been paying out advances to certain writers and kind of hand selecting high profile writers and offering them advances to come on the platform. And a lot of this has come under scrutiny because some of these writers are distasteful to some people some readers out there and it sort of like blurs the line between being a platform versus being a publisher when there's advances being involved. I'm curious how you guys think about that, whether you guys will take an active stance on the types of publications and long form writing that you'll be able, that you'll support versus not, and what you think of the advances strategy. I I think that from a high level, we are really happy and pleased that Substack are building such a great, healthy business. And and we want Substack to succeed. We think that they've built an amazing product. We think that they care about their writers. And we believe in a, in a healthy ecosystem with lots of players. For this writing space, you know, to really flourish, it can't be one or two companies. <laughs> it, it, we, we have to think about it, you know, in very much of a kind of decentralized Web3 framework work because writers need a ton of different services and support across the spectrum. So for for us, the more folks that are doing that, the better. I, I think that how we think specifically about signing up writers is we're very, very interested in what makes Twitter, Twitter, and what makes everyone's Twitter, Twitter, the best for them. And that's really a platform that has enabled folks to come to the platform without necessarily having a voice and having the opportunity 
to build a voice uh, and to build a platform, to build an audience, to build a community around their ideas. And we think that that is a really important process. And the diversity of voices and the diversity of Twitters that that has created from activism, Twitter, you know, all the way through to Twitters that we wouldn't even know of because they cater to such important, you know, but different niches. And so for us, we're looking at how we can give folks like that the tools they need to take their writing one step, two steps, three steps further, and to develop them and grow them and help them grow their audience. Because we see on the other side of that equation, audiences that are really hungry for that kind of content. So with respect to how we're thinking about writer acquisition, we're really looking quite deeply at, you know, the kind of folks on Twitter that are, you know, doing great threads that are growing quickly, that are building platforms and building audiences, you know, and thinking about how we can support them, how we can help them take their writing to the next level and grow their voices you know, into bigger voices. So that, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it from a diversity um, of opinions, diversity of voices perspective, and we're thinking about growing it from these folks that are really building and growing and emerging. I think that there's room for that kind of approach to writer acquisition and many other approaches to writer acquisition. And together, holistically, you know, when you look at the world three years ago, you've got a lot more companies focusing on developing writers, and that's got to be a great thing. I love the strategy of like focusing on people who are organically kind of like emerging on Twitter who may be you know the traditional gatekeepers they're they're not in touch with those people it's like i think that's a great opportunity for twitter i also think that's an opportunity where having some upfront cash maybe makes the most difference because if you've got a full-time job and you're just like tweeting every once in a while but you're already growing a huge audience and like maybe you write some threads and and, and you would like to spend more time writing but it's hard to do because you know it's hard work it takes a lot of time being able to have some sort of advance especially if it's a, a little bit less of a risky advance, even though it may look like it on paper, because you know just how much engagement they're getting might be a really good strategy. I'm curious if that's something that y'all have considered or how you think about kind of upfront financing for writers to get started building subscription businesses. I, I think it's a really important question. And I think it's a really, we want writers to thrive and that their economic well-being is massively important to us. You know, I think that, that how we're starting off, you know, we're still quite early um, in the review acquisition is to really focus our thinking, um, you know, on one, the product and how the product can help and impact writers. And two, on the kinds of writers that we want to really support and, and, and where we think that there's an opportunity to kind of help writers grow. And I think that on the product side, you know, I've mentioned this kind of profile subscribe button that allows you to um, effectively, you know, through someone's Twitter profile, subscribe to their review newsletter. I think that that's a, a big deal in some respects because you're effectively allowing someone that's built up a, fill of a Twitter following and encouraging them to take those followers, to encourage those followers to convert into email addresses that you will own in perpetuity. And I think that that's a really important and impactful change that, that comes with economic value. It may not be as direct economic value, but but it's but it's something of value, and I and I think and it's something permanent, 
and I think it's something impactful. And 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 I think as you as you start to think where that button could be distributed, um, you know, or displayed on on Twitter, you know, the possibilities are endless, and 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 that value becomes kind of really real and tangible. Totally. So yeah, so that's kind of how we're thinking about it from a product perspective. You, you know, from a, a writer, I, I prefer the term kind of writer development because I think what we're really doing is identifying writers in many different niches, you know, and thinking about how they can grow and develop and get a level of of human support, frankly, um, you know, that they may not be used to at all, uh, you know, reaching out, saying, how can we help? You know, w- w- what is your experience? What would make it easier? Thinking about products that allow them to move through that funnel, um, you know, of tweet to thread, um, you know, to newsletter and fully fledged newsletter to newsletter at a regular cadence, you know, and supporting them there. And so, you know, we got a lot of plans to, to do that. I think the first order of business is, is identifying those groups and, and, and kind of trying to figure out where we want to target and and focus but that's the kind of general principle and philosophy and i think at this point in our development that those two things are are the most impactful things we can do for for writers and uh you know i wouldn't rule anything out in the future but but this is kind of where we're focused on right now gotcha so it sounds like kind of to start it's about identifying writers that are emerging on twitter getting them started getting them an email list which i assume they can export so that's a really powerful and valuable thing that's kind of like a more, a little bit more ownership almost over the connection with your audience. And then down the line, maybe anything around financing or, or even just dry, focusing on building subscription businesses is like maybe some sort of later step, but for now really more focused on just getting people writing and subscribing to writers through review on Twitter. Absolutely. And, and I would add that monetization is key. I mean, review, you can um, sell subscriptions via review. We take a, a lower comparative cut. And I think that the monetization piece has a really important role to play here. But again, I do think it's worth just underlining that we're very early. There's an absolute huge growth of writers that have audiences and have something different to say. Mm -hmm. Society, technology, the conversation around those things are changing at such pace that to stay informed, you need to follow new writers and, and be connected to new writers. And mostly, we care about building sustainable businesses. And I think there is a risk when you're still figuring out how you can best service writers via products that serve them and how you can service writers you know with the kinds of writers that 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 are important to service there's a risk of of not understanding it well enough and you know making financial commitments that you you know you may not renew and 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 to me that can come with some risk and some cost as well and so I, i do understand that there's some immediate upside from that and some immediate support but i think that you know if you do move into that model i think you need for the sustainability of the model for the health of the ecosystem, you need to be prepared to commit to that model over a very long period of time. Or otherwise you risk incentivizing folks to do something and then pulling the rug out from under them. And I think that that is something that that one needs to be very, very careful and thoughtful about. I'd love to probe more into the topic of ownership with you, which you had alluded to with respect to review writers being able to own their email list and being able to port their email list elsewhere and reach those audience members from any other email service provider that they might want to use. And I think like this is such a sea change in the way that social networks have thought about like giving people access to their followers and owning their audience. And I want to hear your thoughts on 
where that goes? Like, does it go further than just owning your email list? Have you guys discussed like being able to allow Twitter users to export all of their followers and be able to reach them wherever? How do you make that trade off between giving creators ownership, which I think is like the ultimate form of empowerment versus the defensibility of the product and its network effects? Yeah, it's such an important issue. Uh, and and I, I, I want to just say that I really um, have enjoyed and respected your work and your threads are, are on this topic. And I think this is broader than just writers. This is about kind of creators yes. and the creator class and how their rights are frankly represented and 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 and, and the, the work and blood sweat and tears that they invest in their craft um uh, what they get back out out of it you, you know i would say that my experience um having worked at twitter for over six years now is that there is a tremendous empathy and desire to help and support creators and to help and support folks that invest their time um, in the platform I would say that that from an ownership perspective specifically, I think we're lucky insofar as we have this opportunity quite easily to allow creators to own their email addresses via review. And we've built on top of that, um, you know, the ability for them to convert interested folks on Twitter or followers into emails, which I think is a first step, but it's a step, not a solution. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that I can certainly speak to the ethos, you know, within Twitter of understanding the importance of that, thinking through and understanding the importance of concepts like portability and how for creators, you know, to earn livings, that portability is really important. I think we're at the very beginning of this journey, but yet at the same time, we're shipping quickly um, and we're, we're, we're moving quickly. And in fact, it's an incredibly exciting you know, place to be. But I would say that the most tangible example today is around the email lists. You know, And, and, and I think that it's a conversation and, and an era of exploration that we're going to continue focusing on. From my vantage point, which is the vantage point, I, I'm lucky enough to focus exclusively on writers and, and not to think so broadly, um, you, you know, I'm, I have the luxury of being able to focus. I think from the vantage point of writers, we think it's absolutely essential that writers get to keep the email addresses that they um, build over the, the course of their career. Would you think about extending? I mean, it's tricky because obviously you want review to succeed. That's you made a big investment in it. But like, you know, if I use some other platform and I want to be able to use that button on the profile, especially if it's like a one tap button where, you know, there's like an API thing that happens where you just send the email address and someone doesn't even have to tap their email address. That's obviously going to be highly desirable from a lot of different corners, no matter what email service provider you use. Is that the kind of thing that you could imagine being open if it feels like it's working or does it feel like this is a perk of using review? We made a bit, we made a, made a big investment in review and we want to drive sort of adoption of it. It's a great tool. You know, we would just want to focus on that. It's such a good question. And, and I think an amazing concept that really kind of points towards a more decentralized web, you know, which we're very interested in at Twitter. I, I saw your tweet, Nathan. I, uh -huh. I think I liked it. I, I liked it for sure. I'm not sure if I actually physically liked it. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but Emotionally liked it. I emotionally yeah. liked it. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the one that counts. Well, <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I do think that that is an interesting thing for us to think about. I guess if I zoom out a little bit, 
and think about kind of where we're at in this journey. And I'm curious as to where this is the beginning of a massive sea change. I mean, this shift in the media business is the beginning of of an enormous shift in the way that information is created and consumed. And I see us at just opening stage. And now I know that it's been going on for some time. And, and I know that, that, you know, Twitter has, you know, different models historically for supporting and thinking about individuals that, that contribute and that invest in Twitter. But I think it's very early. So I think it's a model that we will discuss. I know that kind of philosophically, the idea of decentralization is really important. We believe in the health of the overall ecosystem. We believe in lots of service providers out there helping writers and the more connected and the more that world talks to us, the better that world will be and the the more profitable and the more rewarding it will be for writers. I can't give you any specifics about where we are on it because frankly, I don't know. And frankly, I think we're too early to be kind of developing there because we've got so much low-hanging fruit specifically around how folks can translate their audiences into email addresses. Um, So that's kind of an honest and picture of where we are at today, I would say. That makes sense. Another topic I'd love to get your thoughts on is around co-creation of media and collaboration between independent creators. Your background is in long-form journalism, which was all about like media organizations and people working in teams together in a formal relationship. And now on the internet, we're seeing like this blossoming of a bunch of independent writers building their own independent subscription businesses. And it feels like there's something in the middle, which every obviously plays in, which is a collective of writers who are somewhat pulling together resources and revenue. And it feels like that's an underexplored nascent area of like, what are ways that creators can sort of band together, scale themselves, kind of evade creator burnout and potentially be able to benefit from other people's expertise and knowledge in a way that isn't so tied to themselves as an individual. So I'd be curious how you think about that because Twitter is inherently, I think there is a lot of collaboration happening. Like the the retweet with quote feature is an example of collaborative creation. Threads, like comments at the bottom of threads are a form of co-creation. So yeah, do you think that also will be addressed through the long form writing features? It is such a fascinating multitudinous area um, that there are so many possibilities for it. I, I guess on a personal level, I've been very excited and following quite closely, um, you know, what's happening on the blockchain side of things and how the blockchain is, developments in the blockchain around collaboration, specifically in kind of decentralized apps and some of the work that's being done there. Ironically, I think that the focus on those kinds of areas, those, those very far forward areas can take some of the focus away from the nuts and bolts work that needs to be done to enable collaboration between writers. I would say that it's actually happening already quite a lot. Um, You know, we see it happening on Twitter you know, all the time. Uh, how many tweets have you read that says, give me your example, an example of the top mm-hmm. five, da, 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 and right. that becomes a newsletter. I mean, that's collaboration, you know, in real effect. And I think that, that the tools, how do we enable the tools to build tools for, for that? It's funny to think about collaboration as like, you can think about it like splitting the proceeds or having some shared control over something, but then just collaboration in literally the truest sense of like, we're making something together. Like even if you respond to a poll question that I ask on Twitter, 
And I talk about the results of that poll in an article. We are collaborating and it's invisible kind of how much of the like sort of the first layer collaboration, which is just collaboration on the ideas themselves or the stories themselves kind of like comes into play on Twitter versus the other layers of like an economic arrangement or, or, you know, a control arrangement or something like that. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, there are many levels to, you know, this opportunity, I would say. I think a lot of it's already happening. I think that there is a a, a big decoupling that's happening from individuals that are are decoupling from media companies going independent, you know, and many are seeking to recreate the community that they were part of when they worked for an organization. You know, you're seeing lots of examples of that. So collaboration and perhaps more formal terms around, you know, specific collabs. We have just um, been working with a, a weather broadcaster and journalist, Eric Holthouse, around a, a collab idea, which would allow him to leverage the review publisher tool, give certain permissions for collaborators, for uh, the owner of the of the document and the editor and the writer. It kind of splits up permissions and, and starts to think about and address um, you know those issues. Eric is launching with 10 plus meteorologists, collaborative um, you know, newsletter product um, that he's doing via review. And I think that that's really exciting. So I do think that there's not just a need for community, but there's a real benefit and wisdom to being able to source content from communities. I was talking to um, Mario Gabrielli. I, I don't know if you know uh, Mario, oh, yeah. the, the, the yeah, journalist. He wrote an amazing article um, around kind of multiplayer media yeah. and then followed up on that article with a piece about technology industry in Africa, which was a highly collaborative piece which had 10 plus contributors and he was coordinating all of this work and his needs as a writer and an editor and a team leader you know far exceeded the technology that he had access to so i I think that you know it's a really interesting opportunity it's something twitter's thinking very specifically about um, with regards to writers it's something that review has a solution that has worked for a few um, and that we're looking to build out and to develop. And I think it's a, it, it's a really important model that is going to become increasingly important. I'm curious um, if on your side, are there any specific features on the collaboration side that you think are kind of particular, what, what would be your top three wish list from a collaboration perspective from a newsletter product? I, I'd be curious to know. For me personally, and then I'd love to hear Nathan's thoughts because he's been building software for this. But in general, as an industry watcher and as a quasi creator myself, I think there is often the two binary of a line drawn between creators and audiences. And it's actually not that black and white. Like audience members are helping you create, they're collaborators actually. They're constantly commenting, reacting, giving feedback, replying to the email, giving their thoughts. And and that obviously shapes how we create. And so I think like, I'm really interested in new models of collaboration and economic um, systems that can sort of recognize that everyone had a role to play in the success of creation. And I think this is what you alluded to with regards to like what's happening in Web3 models of content creation. Like I think giving people upside for being a loyal reader and like a a really great word of mouth reader who has been helping to grow your newsletter just as much as you have. Like I I think that's really interesting and, and that's where I see a lot of the future headed. To kind of jump on that, like we've developed our own software to like enable collaboration between different writers where the primary thing we have to do is just figure out because we're a bundle, 
when someone signs up, we have to figure out how to allocate the revenue. And right now we do it the simplest possible way, which is we just ask them, hey, where should we allocate your revenue? Basically, like, what's the primary publication that you signed up in order to read? And I think for us, it makes sense to keep focusing on just this model of like the, building the writer collective itself rather than software for writer collectives. But I really wonder what it would look like for, you know, Substack sort of has a multi-publication support thing that's really nascent. You know, I'm not sure what functionality review has, but, you know, there's a lot to be done. It, like we are, you know, everything from algorithmically recommending content from within the bundle, which is sort of like this trust bubble, you know, where it's a lot easier for us to recommend anything we've ever published pretty much for the most part, you know, than it, than it is to if, if, you know, you had to build a recommend recommender algorithm to recommend anything from all across a huge platform like, you know, review or Substack. There's a lot of stuff on there that you may not want to promote. So you'd have to be very careful uh, with that algorithm. But anyway, ideas like that, I just think are really fascinating to think about if it makes sense to build them into a product like review where multiple writers could team up. We're certainly doing a lot of thinking on that front and have built and continue to build a lot of software to support it. Makes total sense. I mean, that functionality does exist within review and we have a few folks that are using it. Matt Navarra, you know, has built out a network um, of writers using kind of the, the review framework around collaboration. You, you know, I would say we're, we're early with it and it's very nascent. To Lee's point around Web3, you know, for me, what I think is, is is really interesting, in addition to the collaboration tools that Web3 kind of promises to enable, is the alignment of incentives and how, mm-hmm. you know, you could have a sort of organizational level and layer, which I think that creators, uh, writers, um, you know, journalists, you know, certainly can benefit from and, and in many cases need. You can have a creation layer, um, you know, where folks have freedom to, 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 to create. And then there are fan layers and the notion that everyone can be involved in those economically and that the incentives and the returns on investment are aligned you know, is incredibly powerful. I do think that sometimes the excitement of that model, which isn't that far in the future, I mean, certainly companies like Mira are thinking about these things and and building these things out, can take away from some of the very specific tooling and needs that are required around collaboration, around how can I write and edit an article with 20 collaborators, you know, in order to get the depth and context that I need. But I think it's a really interesting area and one that we're super invested in. It's a core part of our our writer's strategy is is how to build in collaboration and Mm -hmm. how to think about collabs as 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 a really important group and entity to support. I would say also just piggybacking off of that, I think there are interesting things being tried in web two that sort of start to get to that economic alignment angle without using crypto. Like I think one of the most interesting um, experiments within the writing world that I've seen recently was Sari Azut's Ghost Knowledge, which Mm. was kind of like this commission slash bounty platform where people could like request that a writer write something and actually put a dollar bounty on that and other people could piggyback off of that and add their own patron amounts so that the writer if they decided to write this piece would have like this pool of money already committed to supporting them to do that and i i thought that was so fascinating and it sort of inverts the typical monetization model of content creators online which is first you invest time and energy into creating something hope it succeeds and then monetize the output versus this is like upfront you know that there is demand for this and so then you go and create it and you're guaranteed to earn this much 
And then it also incentivized people to be thoughtful as to what pieces writers should write because they also got a percentage of the total dollar amount committed. So I, I think like that is such a interesting new way to support writing that may be more infrequent that doesn't warrant a full-on subscription. So like I'm I'm really interested in like what are emerging business models that can suit different types of content and different types of relationships between readers and writers. Me too. I, I think it's fascinating and you know and maybe to just bring it into specific topics or communities or areas. Everyone has their own favorite Twitter and their own, you know, different Twitters. I, I personally, you know, have been um, spending a lot of time on the business technology financial side of Twitter. I think that there's a real kind of sea change happening on the uh, retail investing side, on the financial conversation side. I think that market volatility is driven a real need for consumers to, you know, get information delivered to them in that way. And I think that when you think about, I guess, the speed and um, level of change that's happening around information habits, and you look at that area as one of many, I think, to be completely honest, you can see this moving very, very, very quickly. And, and the idea of writers being closer to their fans, there being some sort of rec recognition of that closeness, some kind of alignment of incentives and some kind of ability to get closer, to encourage those relationships to get closer, I think is really fascinating. It, it feels like we're at a very um, exciting time in the industry right now. Well, speaking of an exciting time in the industry, I'm just curious, like, of, of all the stuff you're working on now, like, let's say it all just goes fantastically well. Five years in the future, how does that look? Like, where are things headed in an ideal world that, that you're kind of you're working towards? It's a really interesting question. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're giving me the luxury to think five years in the future. It, it's not something that I'm thinking about that frequently. We're, we're very focused on kind of how to help writers here and now, and, totally. and it's all hands on deck to support them. You, you know, I would say that from a high level, I think that a, a very, very seamless reading and discovery experience, if you're a consumer, of writing on Twitter, be it on Twitter with threads, newsletters, all sorts of different long-form media, be it off Twitter where Twitter can send traffic and point back to the publisher ecosystem, help publishers make money and monetize you know, the, the, the conversation uh, and the interest that they're generating on Twitter. Um, but a really smooth and clean reading experience, I think, is, is, is key. I think a, a, a highly integrated writing experience that allows you know writers to really look at different formats, be it from tweet formats all the way through to newsletter formats and beyond, you know, very seamlessly without without the constraints, even without the term newsletter, you know, is really about it coming into your inbox. It's really a distribution-based term. It's it's where right, where, yeah. where does where does this article end up? You know. Thinking about those um, categorizations, those somewhat um, technology-driven categorizations and thinking about what a world looks like without them. What would it be like if you received your newsletter in your DMs or if it was just a notification mm. and it was read? I, I, th mm. I think just thinking beyond um, the inbox is, is a really interesting space. But I think, you know, to your point, Lee, how do you think about that, you know, but, but still kind of maintain, you know, the values of ownership? 
And then I think wrapping all of that together, you know, is monetization. What does a healthy ecosystem look like? You know, the creator economy is a huge business and opportunity. I fear that the focus on it has two implications. One is that to those that are still searching for a business model that that works, it feels like yet another pivot. And pivots can be good in business, but but also can can keep you jumping from one thing to the next. And we've seen with you know publishers, um, certainly in the video space, that pivoting it, it was about building sustainable businesses. And the second, and this is more relates to the news industry, you know, which is just so critical and core to Twitter's value proposition, to why people come to Twitter, is that a lot of writers, a lot of creators, they secure their information from news organizations that invest tens, hundreds of millions of dollars into news gathering, into having bureaus in you know far-flung um, parts of the world or in cities around the US, and, and, and even local news organizations as well. And I fear that without thinking about the ecosystem as a whole, without thinking about news uh, as a value chain with the, 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 the creator at a very specific end of the value chain, you know, where they are, you know, packaging, distributing, writing, cre- creating and putting out, but, but also relying on these facts that don't come for free. They come from a very sophisticated and scaled news gathering effort. I just hope that that we can nurture and grow this opportunity around writers and creators, but at the same time really ensure that some of the traditional media organizations that do such important work, that they are supported too, and that we think about this as a broader ecosystem. Um, so that's kind of my, my focus. And you know, if everything's worked in five years' time, you know, both will be healthy and vibrant, and we'll have quality information you know, coming from all sectors, and it will be engaging, and it will address the newest trends in five finance, technology, sports, music, you know, and, and everyone will be served. Is that too tech utopian? No, that's perfect. <laughs> Love it. That's perfect. That's a great note to wrap on. It's it's very optimistic and it'll be a really interesting journey to track along the way for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, pleasure. Nick, for joining us. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking and, and, and hearing um, your thoughts on the, on the business too. And I hope we can continue it um, maybe over a beer in person at some point. 